Welcome to River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg. My name is Nolan Bicknell. With me, as always, is my co-host, Robert Zirk. On today's show, Jen Glenwright, Newcomer Literacy Initiative Manager at the Immigrant and Refugee Community Organization of Manitoba, or IRCOM, will tell us all about how they're dealing with the recent influx of Syrian refugees. Then we'll talk to Heather Emberley. She's an EAL teacher, Little Free Library steward, and citizen journalist for Community News Commons. She'll tell us about her latest articles on CNC. Then we'll hear from Molly Dunbar and Josh Derbecker of the Social Purchasing Portal, a directory of businesses committed to community and economic development here in Winnipeg. They'll tell us about how you can make a difference in your community by making socially conscious purchases. And finally, Noah Ehrenberg will join us in studio to talk about This Week in Winnipeg through the lens of Winnipeg's citizen journalism project, Community News Commons. All this, some great tunes, and much, much more on today's episode of River City 360. Good morning, Merry Easter. Happy Easter? What do you say for Easter? Happy Easter, I guess? I think so. Well, happy Easter Sunday, everyone. Hope you're enjoying your long weekend. I know I am. Uh, we've, got, we've got a fantastic show today. Uh, we've got some, some really great interviews coming up. A lot of amazing people doing some incredible work here in Winnipeg. Up first, we're going to be joined in studio by Jen Glenwright of IRCOM, and she'll tell us about how their organization is helping with the Syrian refugee crisis. But first, here is Acker Bilk with the first of spring right here on River City 360. Thank you. 
Good morning and welcome back to River City 360. Robert and Nolan here with you and we are now joined by Jen Glenwright. She is the Newcomer Literacy Initiative Manager at IRCOM. Jen, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me. So first of all, tell us a little bit about IRCOM and what IRCOM does. IRCOM is an apartment building in the Exchange District um, and currently we have 66 suites for newcomers, predominantly refugee but also low-income immigrants. Um, we are very excited that we are also opening up a second IRCOM on Isabel, which is going to be a 60-unit apartment block. And so we've been around for over 20 years basically uh, having a very holistic view of assisting uh, newcomers when they um, move to Canada. We have heaps of programs. Um, the one that I'm part of is our English classes, and so we provide five English classes for lower levels with childcare, which is really excellent. It helps the moms get out of the apartments. We also have after-school programming for children and then for youth. We just wrapped up our hockey program, which is really uh, quite popular. Um, all the kids are really excited to learn how to skate. Um, we have a homework club because we know that a lot of um, youth that are coming here either didn't get adequate schooling or didn't attend school at all. And so they're placed into, you know, grade eight and uh, a grade six level. And so we have that five nights a week. We have an asset building program, which um, we have saving circles. So this, the participants save $250 and then the government kicks in another $750 and they can buy something like a computer or furniture with that. We have a greeting program where people can go and they bring seeds from their country and they can grow their own vegetables. So yeah. So there's a lot of different programs and resources basically to help people kind of integrate and feel comfortable in their new home. Yeah, I, we actually have a big um, tax program going on to help people with income taxes because we all know how complicated those are. So. That's excellent. Um, what are some of the major challenges that immigrants and refugees face on a day-to-day -day basis? Well, the first thing that got me involved with this was realizing that when I was 25 and trying to learn Spanish, and even though I'm bilingual in French and had a university education, it was extremely difficult. I was learning down in Central America, and I noticed how much my self-esteem plummeted. And then I thought about people who were coming from war-torn countries who left not my choice, but because it was too dangerous to live there, and getting plopped down in Winnipeg in the middle of winter. And so there's everything you can think of from not being literate in their own language and then coming into Canada, which we have a very high literacy rate, and trying to understand things like going grocery shopping and why are things measured in pounds and in kilograms? Why are there two different prices for everything? Anything from going to um, taking the bus or learning how to drive. So there's loads and loads of issues. Lots of everyday things. Uh, you mentioned even before, like doing your taxes. Mm -hmm. You know, if you don't have a solid command of the language. Yeah. Or visiting the doctor and having your interpreter be your child. And so there's a really big difference, like a power imbalance, right? Or having your children interpret the parent-teacher meetings and stuff like that. So let's talk a little bit about, because um, last week on the show, we featured the grant announcement that was from the Welcome Fund for Syrian Refugees, um, which is a fund of the community Foundations of Canada, and they provided $500,000 to the Winnipeg Foundation to distribute to local settlement organizations, including IRCOM. What is that grant money going to be allocated to specifically? I think it's probably going to be just to ensure that the programs that we have um, are going to run smoothly. So although we are getting this increase with Syrians, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're getting an increase of that, that proportional increase in funding to our existing programs. And 
there have also been some cuts made in certain programs. So it's really just to ensure that we're meeting the needs of the participants as best we can. One of the things that was mentioned was a wraparound response team. Could you explain what kind of services that would entail? So when every family comes to um, EARCOM, we have a needs assessment done. So do they need English classes? Do they need, is there specific um, health care needs that they need to have met? Uh, children and what kind of programming they need. And so what we try and do is see what needs they have and make sure that every um, family gets as much support as they need. A lot of people are coming from really uh, traumatic situations and so there is a lot of PTSD that we see. And so we have high needs, a high needs special group that gives those families and yeah participants the extra help that they need. So just to ensure that the move to Canada is a positive thing and something that they can transition as smoothly as possible into everyday life here. One of the events that's coming up in support of IRCOM is the Team uh, Quiz Night fundraiser. Could you talk yes. a little bit about that? Yeah, so it's happening Saturday, April 2nd, and basically people can sign up. It's $20 a person or $140 per table, and all the proceeds are going to go to IRCOM. Um, there's going to be lots of raffle prizes, and uh, I think it's a lot. I've heard it's a lot of fun. I'm, this is going to be my first year, so people really shouldn't bother signing up because my team's going to win. Uh, but that being said, we would like to have as many teams as possible. Um, yeah, and Team is a really wonderful organization that gives a lot of support to um, English teachers. So. And the proceeds, I think it says here that the proceeds are going directly to the Children's Literacy Program, Homework and Education Program for Youth, so it all kind of ties in. Yeah, everything to do with literacy. I'm hoping that my adult English program might be able to weasel some of those funds out too. <laughs> and is there a way that if people are interested, if people want to support ERCOM or if they want to get involved in some way, volunteering, how can they do that? They can either, um, I guess the quickest method would be to um, visit our website at ERCOM.ca. They can also give us a call at 204-943-8765 and speak with our volunteer manager. But since the Syrian refugee crisis has come, our phones are kind of ringing off the hook. So the most efficient way would probably be to visit our website. Perfect. Thank you so much, Jen, for joining us again. And thank you for telling us about IRCOM and what IRCOM does. Thanks again. Thanks, Robert. Coming up next, an interview for all the book fans out there. The annual book fair at St. Vitale Center is coming up next month, and we will talk to a CNC reporter who wrote a fantastic story talking about the event. But first, here's Benny Goodman with Spring Song right here on River City 360. Thank you. 
Welcome back to River City 360. Robert and Nolan here with you this morning, and we are now joined by Heather Emberley. She is an EAL teacher, a freelance writer, a steward of a little free library, and a citizen journalist at Community News Commons. Heather, thank you so much for joining us this morning. It's great to be here. Thank you. So first of all, tell our listeners sort of what topics that you write about on CNC. Well, mostly uh, interviews, human interest stories, uh, lots of fundraisers for social justice, uh, concerts for uh, various projects, and I just did my first theater review, which was too much fun. (laughs) Very cool. So one of the articles that we wanted to talk about today is one that you had recently written for CNC. It's called A Tribute to Myrtle, How Book Lovers Help Sick Kids. Uh, Could you tell us a little bit about what the article was about and who was Myrtle? I was going to St. Vitale Mall for the last bookmark to do my volunteer shift. And while I was waiting for my husband, I read the free press and I read the obituaries and Myrtle's just jumped out of the page at me. And her family had written a short uh, obituary in which they mentioned uh, her love of reading, entertaining, and she never missed the St. Vitale Children's Hospital Book Mart. And since I was on my way there, I tore that page out, and it became a story. Because the, uh, the book market's been going on since 1961. Yes. And I would imagine, you know, probably been she had been to decades of of the market we have there are many many people who never miss and have gone for like you say decades what made you want to uh what made you want to write that article in particular there was just something that called to me and it it became a different way to tell the story about the bookmark because uh, I went home, and and after a few days, uh, Myrtle was just a presence. I, I felt I could feel her spirit, <laughs> uh, and I started to wonder about who was Myrtle and why did she love the Book Mart. And knowing what it, the Book Mart entails, I imagined that she walked down those aisles and saw everything that the shoppers and the volunteers see. In a way, she sort of personifies a lot of different people that come in and support the book market in their own way. Yes, and support um, sick kids and pediatric research. How did you get involved as a volunteer with the book market? A colleague of mine, uh, we were both um, colleagues, and she started volunteering and she knew how much I love books, and she just said to me one day, you've got to try this, and I got hooked, so now I sort books and do the, uh, the mall where we replace the books and answer questions from the public. Now, you've also uh, written about little free libraries in the past, uh, and as we mentioned earlier, you're also the steward of one. Uh, what, what made you kind of want to get involved with little free libraries? It's, um, I guess, being a, a, a teacher, an EAL teacher and a, and a former school counselor, I see how important reading is for kids and for adults and how life-changing and empowering it is. And when I discovered a little free library purely by accident, one of those synchronicity moments, I think, much like Myrtle, I saw it on Pinterest, I clicked on this picture, and the next thing I knew... 
A friend built me one for, as a surprise birthday present, and it's now been three years, and it's just been a phenomenal experience where it's in our front yard, and 24-7 people come by, take a book, leave a book. Sometimes they leave bags of books, and it's quite wonderful. And then sometimes those books get recycled to children's hospitals, so it's like it's all connected. <laughs> it's such an interesting concept, and that was uh, kind of the... We've covered little free libraries on the show before, and um, a couple of stewards, we talked to them, and they were... It was, it was very interesting how, you know, it's just something that kind of adds to the community and gets people interested in books and what other people are reading. Every time I look out my window, it seems there's somebody there with either a baby or a dog, or they're talking to each other. We In the summertime, we've met people who've said they've met new friends at the library because they start talking about their favorite authors and they start trading books. And we just meet all kinds of people. We've had people drive up from across town, and they visit all the libraries. There's over 30 in Winnipeg now. And it has become a, a great little community of readers and sharing books. Very cool. Um, you've been contributing to Community News Commons since 2003. So you have many stories on, on the site and a bunch of different topics, as you mentioned. Um, is there a particular story or two that kind of stands out as a favorite of yours? Besides the Little Free Library one, um, and that one is special because our very first visitor was a, a, a week old baby with his dad. And it, we'd put the library, my friend had put the library up on a Friday night, about 9.30 at night. And I looked out my living room window at 8.20 in the morning. And there was this dad and his walking this week old baby. And so that story became a, an ongoing story because now they come back every year. And I've now got three pictures of that baby each year. And from that, it has just grown. So that one is, I would say, probably one of my favorites. Uh, the others have been, um, the other favorite, I think, is the ones to do with social responsibility, like the one about the music program at West End Cultural Center, just because a lot of the kids who go there were used to be my students. And so to know that they have something to do that uh, they can afford after school that keeps them off the streets and out of gang involvement. Um, I think that's, uh, that ties with my favorites. Why, um, how did you become a contributor to Community News Commons? I had edited the Manitoba Journal of Counseling for decades and uh, somehow it was, writing was always there. I'd always done little profiles of people and interviewed um, different teachers and psychologists. And from there, it kind of grew to interviewing business people and then human interest stories and discovered community news commons and thought, this is something that um, you can give back and enjoy and keep the writing skills up and learn. We learn a lot from the workshops. That's excellent. Um, when is the next Children's Hospital book market? And if people want to support it or volunteer, how can they do so? They can support it in a couple of ways. One is to come and shop and have a wonderful day with all the books. Uh, and that is at St. Vitale Mall, uh, April 26 to 30. 
the other way is to donate books. It's time to declutter and do spring cleaning. And the last book sale was so successful that our stock is really depleting. So they can donate uh, books to any Winnipeg fire hall, and the firefighters graciously uh, store them and help uh, actually deliver uh, some items uh, before the sale, or at any Dufresne store in Manitoba. And we have volunteers who come and pick up the books and bring them to a central location where they're sorted and priced. Excellent. Heather, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you. It's been fun. Thanks, Robert, and thank you, Heather, for coming in and talking to us today. As they both mentioned, you can find Heather's articles at cncwpg.org. Coming up next, we'll be joined in studio by Molly Dunbar and Josh Durbecker of the Social Purchasing Portal, and they'll tell us about how you can feel good and do good by buying local. But first, here's Percy Faith with My Coloring Book right here on River City 360. Thank you for listening to River City 360. Nolan and Robert here with you this morning. And we are now joined in studio by two very special guests. We have Molly Dunbar, committee member for the Social Purchasing Porter, and Hello. Josh Durbecker, the coordinator of the SPP. Thanks Hello. for joining us. 
Thank you. Thank you. So we wanted to have you on the show today to talk about the social purchasing porter. So portal, pardon me. So first question, what is the social social purchasing portal? So the social purchasing portal, you can just call it the SPP, is a directory of businesses that are committed to community economic development, whether that's through the hiring of people facing barriers to employment or through um, aggressive environmental practices within their business or their cooperative social enterprises, things like that. Okay. Mm-hmm. And don't worry, it is a mouthful. You're not the first yeah. one to have yeah. stumbled over that. Social purchasing yeah. portal. Yeah, it's yeah. a tongue twister. We have to practice. And so why the need for the SPP then? So basically, there's a couple things that the SPP does that is helpful to people. And if you are a purchaser, if you're whether you're a business or if you're a corporation and you want to you know, increase your corporate social responsibility, or if you're just an individual who really is kind of looking for something different, looking to buy local, but you know, it's a lot of work to try and find all those things yourself, all that research. I know when I, I used to coordinate, like Josh, and it took me a long time to just wrap my head around exactly what everyone does, what it, you know, how I can engage with them, what I can buy with them in terms of my own purchasing. And so we do a lot of that background work for people. All of the stuff is there. You can just like call and ask, you know, do you know someone who sells this? And that works done for you. And then you're making a difference with your dollars, getting the things you need and not spending any more, but you're keeping it in the community and you're helping people get jobs, which is kind of cool. So why is that important to buy local, to help people who may have trouble, uh, getting employment and really supporting that sort of aspect of Winnipeg. So um, I'm going to just start by saying with uh, every dollar that's spent in the SPP, 57, or sorry, at a, a big box store, every dollar that's spent, 57 cents goes out of the community. So when you're shopping with the SPP, it's 100% reinvested back into the community. So when you're uh, providing jobs for people that are difficult to employ or facing barriers, um, I mean, from a purely capitalistic standpoint, you're increasing the tax base, de- decreasing um, burden on justice system, on the healthcare system, on social services. But at a like a very human level, you're you're giving people a second chance. You're giving people confidence. You're growing your community, and that's uh, win win. Sorry, mm-hmm. it's a win win. Yeah, win-win. exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. And saving the environment most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> So what's, what, sort of th- what sort of products and services do the S- does the SPP uh, offer? Um, basically, there's anything from bicycle parts to courier services. Uh, there's groceries. Um, there's a bunch of cooperatives on the social purchasing portal that do all sorts of things. Painting, repairs, um, food like restaurants, child minding, clothes and furniture, office supplies, recycling, hardware, crafts, landscaping, housing. Um, pretty much anything that you would need you know there are uh, there's always a few things missing and maybe they don't have quite the selection that you'll you'll get everywhere but i mean that's not true even for one of the cooperatives on the social purchasing portal is pollock's hardware co-op and they are known as the store of last resort so if you can't find it anywhere you can find it at pollock's and so it's you know it's not always the case that you're going to have to sacrifice or give up something to do good with your purchase right so you can feel good and i mean it's not costing you anything extra or anything so you can I mean, exactly. it, it is a win-win, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So you have an event coming up next week. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. So next week, um, March 30th, from 3 to 6, we have the Social Purchasing Portal Networking Expo. So what this is, it's essentially uh, a trade show for the SPP. So we get together all of our purchasing partners, all of our supplier partners, and then community organizations that are working with people facing barriers to employment, and then the, the general public to um, foster relationships between 
these organizations to increase spending and by a, by effect increase per or uh, so, uh, hiring. Sorry. Okay. And what's really cool about the one this year is this is going to be the biggest one that's ever happened. Third annual. Third annual, <laughs> and and there's going to be how many? Thirty something suppliers there. Thirty four suppliers, I believe. Yeah, and and I mean I've we've had that a couple years before, and we've never had numbers like that. We're in a great new space at the Richardson Building, and uh, it's just going to be a lot of fun for sure. Yeah, great. So. What, what's been some of the response of, of people who have either been employed through these organizations or who have, uh, who have dealt with, with the SPP in the past? Well, that's an interesting question. Though. There's a really great story, actually, uh, on the community news commons um, that was written by <coughs> another, well, a light board member, Lynn Ann Loriel. And she was speaking to a mom who works at uh, Food Connections, which is a social enterprise of the Wolseley family place. And... This mom um, just speaks about what an impact it is to be able to tell her son, her six-year-old son, that she's going to work every day. And she got to bring him to the movies for the first time in in his life, right? And just those simple things that seem like simple things and, in fact, sometimes seem like a burden to a lot of the rest of us, like, oh, I have to go to work today, um, are actually such a special thing and such an important thing. And, And just in seeing that, that I- the impact that it's going to have on her own family and then on the community around her, it, it kind of is a ripple effect that goes out. That's probably just one of many stories, like things absolutely. we all take There's for granted. Absolutely, so and many and stories, yeah. absolutely. So we all take it for granted, but a lot of times it's probably not as easy to get a job and keep a job for, for certain people, and, and this is a project that's really helping and to alleviate that. if I'm not wrong, there are, a lot, there are quite a few stories on the website still. We had... Not on the website. We have okay. that there. There were stories. We we actually just re revamped our website. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. I'm so that 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 information wasn't uh, <laughs> wasn't transferred. But yeah, there there are stories developing every year. Great. Mm-hmm. Um, this year we've created twenty five employment opportunities so far. Um, uh, that would that's going up to uh, the end of the twenty fifteen year. So we work on the April to cool. March calendar. Great. Well, if you want to he- read that story, you can go to communitynewscommons.org, or if you want to find more information about the so- social purchasing portal, go to sppwinnipeg.org, or if you'd like to uh, contact them, it's info at sppwinnipeg.org. Yes. Perfect. Well, thank you very much, guys, for coming in. We have Josh Derbecker, coordinator of the SPP, and Molly Dunbar, committee nice. member of the yeah. social purchasing portal. Thank, thank you. you so much. Thanks. Welcome back to River City 360. Nolan and Robert still here with you this morning. And we are now joined in studio by a friend of the show and very special guest, Noah Ehrenberg. He's the convener of Community News Commons. Noah, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me here. So we have you on every week to tell our listeners what's happening in Winnipeg through the lens of Community News Commons. Now, Community News Commons is a citizen-run journalism project. Explain sort of the Coles Notes version of CNC. Community News Commons is a citizen journalism uh, project. Uh, The website is communitynewscommons.org, and um, hundreds of people have uh, become involved over the course of the last few years. Essentially, it's uh, sponsored by the Winnipeg Foundation, and it um, provides the opportunity for people in our province to tell multimedia stories that I help them tell, and then we publish them on the website, and we do workshops every spring and fall uh, that help people uh, basically um, tell stories from their neighborhoods, that uh, that things that they're concerned about. One of which, Heather Emberley, uh, one of our previous guests earlier in the show. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, how can uh, our listeners get involved with CNC before we get into it? Oh, well, all they have to do is just go to the website, cncwpg.org, 
or communitynewscommons.org. Both will take you to the same place. And on the top right-hand corner of that main page, there's a little button there that says Become a Citizen Reporter. You can just click on that. It takes a minute to register, and then you can begin telling stories. And as the editor of the, of the project, I help people tell those stories, and we do that for free. And as I say, we also do some workshops every spring and fall that people can attend. So tell your stories. Get out there. Get on cncwpg.org and tell your stories because everyone's got a story, really, when exactly. it comes down to it. So what, what are some of the citizen journalists uh, talking about on CNC this week? Well, this week I really liked Greg Petzold's story. Uh, it's called Not Your Bubba's Easter Eggs. And, oh, uh, there's some beautiful pictures on oh, in there. It's just extraordinary. Um, as you know, you can't really make an omelet without breaking a few eggs, as uh, Greg says in the opening paragraph of his story. Mm-hmm. And um, essentially what he is covering is a show, a, an art exhibition, over at the Ukrainian Cultural and Education Centre that's over on Alexander Avenue. And um, this show is by a couple of uh, artists, Dave and Derek Wasilishin. And what they do is they take pieces of of broken Easter eggs, Ukrainian Easter eggs, and they take these tiny little pieces and they literally put them into a work of art. And um, so they take hundreds of pieces of eggshell and they combine them into a one-of-a-kind, three-dimensional, um, spectacular art piece. And there's beautiful pictures on the website uh, on Community News Commons about this. And uh, there's all sorts of details as to how you can go and attend the show that's over on Alexander Avenue at the... Um, at the Ukrainian uh, gallery. So right in time for Easter, Easter Absolutely. Sunday, you can go check out some uh, traditional, that sounds very meticulous, thousands well, of pieces. And for sure. And, you know, I mean, it's sort of, sort of a new twist on an ancient art right. tradition. And cool. uh, this new twist is just fascinating. Yeah, it looks, it, the, the photos are phenomenal. They are. They're extraordinary. So what else is happening on CNC? Oh, the other uh, story I really liked was by Armand Martin. And Mar- Armand, Armand tells a story about... Um, a uh, trip she went on to a seven-day bike trip to the Netherlands. And uh, there she discovered, well, she discovered that uh, the Netherlands is crazy about uh, cycling. Uh, Pretty much everybody in the Netherlands has a bike. 90% or something like that? Something like that. that. It's one of the highest percentages of people riding bicycles for transport, really, just to get around. There are streets in the the Netherlands where um, many streets where the bikes are in control, that that Uh cars have to yield to the bike. Nice. And uh, so she was really impressed with the whole bike culture. But one thing she was really impressed with was the bike that she was riding in Holland, which is essentially a, a traditional uh, Dutch bicycle that she says is really, really comfortable because huh. it's sort of like a, um, you know, it's a, the two wheel, but it's not um, it, it's not sort of like your mountain bike right. or your 10 speed or whatever it is. It's it, it's not a racer. It's a cruiser. And so you're, you're, you're sitting upright. Uh, you can go fast. You can go slow. It's very comfortable. And what she found was a couple of Winnipeggers who went to the Netherlands, and now they're shipping 100 of these bikes back to Winnipeg, these Dutch bikes, oh. and they're going to sell them. That might be perfect timing because we're really starting to talk about Winnipeg as a cyclist's haven yes. and, and really trying to build you know, routes for cyclists. So that might be perfect timing if you oh. want a new bike. Oh, for sure. And so so you can go uh, and check out uh, her story. It's called Dutch Street, the Plain Bicycle Plan. And you can see all the details on how you can sort of get your name onto a list uh, to buy one of these bikes. They're $250 cool. uh, plus tax, uh, plus a fee, a PayPal fee, hmm. I believe. Um, but so it that's is, pretty reasonable. Like that's what oh, yeah. you're going to pay for a regular bike. Yeah, for sure. And it's, uh, and like I say, she says it's the most comfortable ride she's ever had on a bike. And um, it's, it's really, uh, it's a very interesting story, an interesting way to uh, yeah. to talk about bike culture and to talk about bikes that really work well. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so every week we like to invite you on the show and, and give us a, a little taste of local music, something local that maybe our listeners haven't heard before. So uh, what have you got for us this week? 
Uh, this week um, is a, a group called Leaf Rapids, and uh, people will probably know Leaf Rapids because it's uh, Carrie Latimer and Devin Latimer, and they're um, uh, known in the Winnipeg music scene um, for a, a previous band uh, called Nathan. Oh, yeah. And uh, so Carrie and Devin, a husband and wife team, uh, they've uh, started a new project called Leaf Rapids. That's the name of their band. Actually, Devin is from Leaf Rapids, as it turns out. Very cool. And um, they are a very busy uh, d- uh, duo that uh, they basically, uh, they go to many places to play. You can catch them at the Garrick Hotel on March the 29th. That's coming up this week. Uh, and then there's a private house concert in Winnipeg on April the 1st. And you can get all the details on their uh, uh, Leaf Rapids uh, website, the band website and then they go off to BC and they're not back here until later on um, I believe sometime in May uh, May the 3rd is when they're at the West End Cultural Center. So, so this hu- week, husband and wife duo, hey? Yes, they must with, have... with two kids. Oh, wow. So in the band? Traveling, what's that? The two kids are in the band, too? Oh, no. Oh, okay, uh, just two kids. <laughs> but when they do travel on the road... Uh, Bring the whole family. Of, most of the time, Why they're not? taking the kids with them. That's rock uh, and They're roll. very talented musicians, um, and uh, I love their music, and uh, I wanted to feature them today because um, it's one of the reasons why Winnipeg is such a great place mm-hmm. is because of uh, musicians like uh, Devin and Carrie Latimer. And um, this album is called Lucky Stars, and the song that we feature this morning is called Vulture Lullaby, right here on River City 360, CGNU 93.7 FM. My dear one, soaring high above our heads, Thank you. 
That's a wrap on this week's episode of River City 360. Thank you very much for listening, and a big thank you to all of our guests for talking to us today. If you want to hear more views and news from around Winnipeg, listen to any of our past episodes, or subscribe to our podcast, please visit us online at rivercity360.org. Again, that's rivercity360.org. River City 360, Views and News from Around Winnipeg, is a project of the Winnipeg Foundation in partnership with Community News Commons and CJNU 93.7 FM. Please give us a call. We would love to hear your feedback about the show. If you have any ideas for a story for a future show, send them our way. And even if you'd like to just request a song or say hi, uh, let us know. Give us a call. Our number is 204-944-9474, extension 360. Again, that's 204-944-9474, extension 360. We're also on Twitter and Facebook. You can search at RiverCity360 on Twitter and just regular old RiverCity360 on Facebook. I'm Nolan Bicknell signing off for RC360. And I'm Robert Zirk. Thank you again so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Have a great Sunday.